Coming up on This Week in Radio Tech, we're going across the pond to Ireland, Galway, Ireland, where Kira Connolly is going to be joining us. Kira has a rather large audience on streaming uh, radio, but she's also been involved with engineering back in the day of Marty's and making her own transmitters and maybe even operating not quite legally. Plus, she's going to tell us about uh, virtual machines and IT operations for today's more modern radio. It's all coming up next on Twerk. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcasters General Store with outstanding service, savings, and support online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics with the Bionic Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio. Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio. Audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel. Worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless. Prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, the show where we talk about everything from uh, the microphone to that light bulb at the top of the tower. Hey, I'm Kirk Harnack here in the Nashville studios of the Telos Alliance. And uh, delighted to be with you here. We've got a great show for you today. Really fascinating show because of our guest. I think our guest is just amazingly fascinating. But we're going to keep our guest under wraps for just a few seconds while we check in with my co-host, and friend and engineering confidant and yours too, Chris Tarr. Hey, Chris, welcome in. Good to see you. Hey there, Kirk. How are you? Good, good. Good. Yeah, it's oh, uh, oh, been a busy oh, day for me. Uh, what? Sorry. Oh, no, we no, were, not me. Are you kidding? No, we were, You're much too we, smart we were, to reveal me. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I guess I missed something. Guest. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the video switched real quick. Go ahead. Back back to Chris Tarr. We'll meet our guest in just a minute. Shh. It's secret. <laughs> oh man, what a what a busy day. We had a major ice storm down here. Uh, yeah, major one. And we had a station that was off the air. And uh, interesting, you know, turn of events. We we tried to get up last night. The power went out all over the area and our generator yeah. didn't kick on. So we were going to go see what was going on. Couldn't get up the hill to the site because it was completely iced over. Mm. So we waited until this morning, tried to get up there and the, the tower was shedding ice. So we couldn't get up there. So finally we got up there and uh, interesting little thing. It was just a simple, the, uh, the, tra the uh, generator has a crank sensor. And if the engine doesn't turn over after so many seconds, it faults and shuts off. It wasn't set long enough, so generator hadn't had time to start and come up to speed before it alarmed and shut down. So as soon as we got up there, generator came on, and you know, because we could pass the alarm, generator came on and everything was good. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things will get a little bit better. And then the other thing going on is um, for those of you who are into EAS, Gary Tim, who is very involved with EAS uh, was the uh, chairman of the SECC here in the state, the broadcast chair for the emergency mm -hmm. communications committee, very influential in EAS and, and uh, even at the end of EBS um, he's retiring next week and I'm taking his place. So <gasps> been spending the day working on all kinds of EAS stuff and 
kind of getting acclimated to that. Those are huge shoes to fill. I mean, they're just, he's been doing it for 30 years. I mean, just, he's like the grandfather of the stuff. We will want to do a show uh, about that because that's kind of a, a mystery area to so many engineers, including and especially me. Uh, maybe we can get you and, and Adrian Abbott, who we've had on before on the same show to talk about about things like that. And maybe Larry Wilkins from uh, from Alabama, who's involved with that as well. So sure. That sounds like a good topic sure. for a little bit later on this spring. Meanwhile, Indeed. looking forward to our guest. So, yes, I'll get out yes, of the way our guest, our guest, uh, Kiara Connolly. Hello, Kiara from Ireland. Welcome in. It's good to see you. Afternoon, stateside. How are you? <laughs> stateside 11 <laughs> oh yeah, my gosh that, that, i can't that is one of the things about the internet radio station because you say you know normally it's you're playing to your terrestrial audience and then you say good afternoon so now it's like good afternoon europe good morning the states and good morning germany or good morning um, australia it's really weird so many yeah, time zones yeah Wow, I, I want to hear about that, uh, Kira. You're um, on the microphone, uh, on the on the air, uh, on the web uh, as a talent, but you also have uh, an incredible amount of engineering experience and some really good perspectives on today's modern technology. Because I don't know, maybe you didn't start with cart machines. I, I have no idea. Maybe you did. Uh, but anyway, Kira's coming up. Kira Connolly. She's on PlanetRadio.ie with uh, whole lots of, uh, of listeners and uh, a big audience talks to a lot of people. Plus, uh, but plus, yeah, plus she has the coolest Irish accent. I love that. <laughs> I know. Isn't that great? Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh man. I, I, when I've only been to Ireland once and uh, Andy Linton, who may be watching the show, uh, you know, drove me around and showed me lots of transmitter sites and, and had a great time. And I'm, I'm leaving out of Dublin's airport. And, you know, I'm trying to manipulate a laptop bag and I don't know, two laptops and all oh, some carry-ons. I just had too much stuff and I'm trying to get it all on the, on the belt there. And the, 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 their equivalent of uh, your equivalent there, Kira of a, a TSA, Homeland Security, whatever lady looks at me and she says, hello, love, let me help you put that on the belt, love. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's so nice. They would never say that in the U.S. Hello, love. No. Let me help you. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 back in the day, I did a lot of work down in South Africa, and um, ah. it was it was really surreal because you and I, all, all of us, I'm sure, remember a day when you could get on a plane and bring a tool case with you, and a right. snips, and a soldering iron, and right. all the other gear that you want as your carry on. And I used to obviously because of the Irish problem with terrorism and all that, when I used to go through Heathrow, they used to have a conniption. And the other thing with overhead baggage as well, um, you know, you, you're limited. And I, the tool case, I had full packed and I was pretending that it was light <laughs> getting on the plane. <laughs> but, um, but it was, it was, uh, it was, it was surreal times. That was back in 96. And then sadly, sadly, I, I was devastated when the Twin Towers came down that time because sure. I visited it. I always wanted to get up to the top uh, into the TX rooms, but I didn't have the contacts at the time, but I was yeah. devastated seeing it come down. Oh my God. So many good people wow. lost in that. Well, uh, folks, listeners, viewers, you can tell we're up for a good show. Uh, Kira's also got a lot of, you know, I tell you, years ago, it was actually Chris Tarr who walked me through some of the, the software defined radio receiver uh, software and kind of helped me to enjoy uh, that. 
And um, and Kira's uh, been experimenting with that quite a bit as well. Plus DAB, you know, we have HD radio in the U.S. They have DAB over over there, and uh, some you know lots of other engineering topics. So I'm excited to hear about that. And Kira's also obviously on the microphone as well. So. Um, she has that uh, that perspective as well. Hey, this week in Radio Tech is brought to you in part by Nautel. They're doing another one of their transmission talk Tuesdays coming up next week on Tuesday. That's February the twenty eighth. If you're watching the show live or shortly thereafter, uh, and this week the topic is going to be uh, thermal imaging devices. And that's with Gary Cavell of uh, Cavell Merchant Associates. Uh, Gary has talked about this for quite a few years, and he's always bring new pictures, more information, the latest things that that he's learned. And you can be part of that. You can get this from from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Gary Cavell, uh, he'll be taking your questions, talking, of course, but also taking your questions in this roundtable event put on by Nautel. It's the Nautel Transmission Talk Tuesday. Uh, there's a link you can click on to register. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's on your screen there. Go to nautel.com slash webinars and then click on Transmission Talk Tuesday. Scroll down and click on the link for this coming Tuesday, February the 28th. You'll want to go to that. Gary Cavell is always, A, informative, but B, humorous. So check it out. It's well worth an hour of your time. Thanks a lot, Nautel, for sponsoring this week in radio tech. All right, Chris Tarr is here and Kira Connolly is, is here. And uh, I guess we want to jump right into it. Kira, uh, why don't you kind of start us out on how you got started in broadcast engineering? We, it seems like there's a lot of similarities in people's stories and some differences too. You, like many, were a little bit on the young side when you got interested in burning yourself with a soldering iron. Uh, Absolutely. Tell me what to, yeah, to, to, to carry us through your early uh, interest in broadcasting. Well, I think it started out with my first electric shock, and uh, after yeah. that, I was I, I was uh, enthused with electricity, and then I started working. It was actually quite weird because I started working in a in a TV store in Galway, and um, you know, summer job. Um, I was like really young at the time, uh, twelve, I think, and I was just into tech all all the time when I was really young, and then um, obviously I got into electronics through that. And then amateur radio. Um, mm. Obviously, I couldn't transmit at 16, but um, uh, I had to wait for the license. But then I started building these little kits that you could buy in from the UK, FM transmitter kits. Uh, would have been dirty as hell and uh, spirit harmonics all over the place. But I managed to get a signal about six miles around mm. the neighborhood. So got hooked at, got hooked at that stage and then started messing around with TV UHF modulators and uh, masthead amplifiers put enough gain in into a, we have an area called a color king. It's like four bow ties mm, and yeah. uh, a panel behind them. You probably have them over there. Yeah, and uh, made a made a matching ballon to do that. And I was transmitting TV, obviously totally legally, of course. Um, but you know, you're 13, <laughs> you don't really care. Um, <laughs> so so that that happened. And then I was I was involved in a couple of events. Um, you know, fundraisers where a guy buried himself in a grave and um, buried himself alive. And we had a camera down there, a big Sony domestic camera, broadcasted around the place. And then I kind of got the name of being able to transmit signals around Connacht in the west of Ireland. And at that time, there was pirate radio stations, which I couldn't get involved in uh, because I was young. But I was approached by the new local radio station, which was licensed, called uh, Radio West at the time. 
And I thought it was quite ironic because at that time I was just leaving school, but I had my amateur radio license. I was screwing around with transmitters at that stage, probably five or six years. And they asked me to come in as engineer. Um, whatever kind of business plan that was or model, ask a 17-year-old at that time to come in as the station engineer and engineer it um, is quite interesting. Anyway, I got the gig. And it was really weird back then because all the radio stations were um, competing with each other, the new locals. And the equipment for the radio station in Galway was ordered through a guy who had um, shares in another radio station. So we couldn't, we couldn't uh, get our gear to get on air on time. And at that time, there was a guy called Jimmy Smith. He had a, this amazing uh, radio station called Treble TR in Dublin. Like it was class. I mean, he had tweed audio desks. I mean, really good gear, gear ITC cart machines. I mean, the top of the top. And he had to shut down because there were pirates, but there were professional pirates. They're paying their taxes and everything else. So hmm. he said to me, he said, um, will we go up to Dublin and take out the studio and bring it to Galway? And at least it could get us on the air. So we went up with this crazy guy in a van who decided to overtake everyone uh, when um, when people were oncoming rather than waiting his turn. Uh, brought it back to Galway. At the time, we had a, it was a CT250 transmitter with four dipoles um, up on our transmission site. DB radio links that we had that part of it. We didn't have a transmitter and we didn't have a studio. And uh, I, I, at that stage I'd been messing around more with radio. Um, I'd made FM encoders, um, made them from scratch from hmm. drawings. And I put this thing on air and it sounded actually quite good. We, the Optimod was supposed to be on the way at the time. It didn't come for weeks. And um, so that was my introduction to commercial professional radio. Um, and it was it was quite interesting. So, you know, there was there was little nuances. I, the people that were at the time, uh, with no disrespect to them, they were supplying transmitters, and it was really weird because Jimmy rang me one day and he said uh, the new transmitter is coming in. Uh, will you go up and make sure? So, we I wasn't driving at the time because I was just of age. Uh, we went up and uh, the the DB transmitter, as I said earlier, was in in the site, but it sounded absolutely terrible. Hmm. So. Um, Basically, there was a stereo encoder in it, and the guy said, just loop the MPX straight through the... So he said, let me at it, or let me at it. And uh, so I pulled out the encoder, and we had glorious stereo. Optimod came along. That was my... I loved that beast. I, I loved tuning that and, and getting the sound out of it. And I just got hooked, absolutely hooked in radio. It was That hmm. was the start of it. So that's kind of the... the that, that's kind of the abridged version, should I say? <laughs> And and you were what, like 14, 15, 16 years old? Seventeen at that time. Oh, seventeen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and is, is that where your 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 uh, your home is around the Galway area? In Galway area, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I've I, so, I got to spend a couple of days in, in, in Galway. That's a beautiful town. I, I like kind of gritty, but also yeah. also just lots of good places. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta the next time you call call, you gotta visit. Um but um yeah, that was the start that was the start of my commercial career. And uh, it was it was it was it was surreal. Now we'll say um, years years later, you know, I have top of the range Tektronix spectrum analyzers. I have all the toys in the world that I could ever possibly want. Now, back then, I was maintaining a radio station, and we didn't even have an oscilloscope in there. I brought in my one, yeah. and it was like it was like really surreal, you know. Um, and there were it, it was a situation where that they weren't spending the money to do it in the kit. And it was, it was bizarre, you know. 
we'll come back to that. Chris, I'm reminded that uh, you kind of began in radio with a bit of a swashbuckling history as, as Kira did. <laughs> I sure did. Mine was uh, was AM, though, because they were you know, a whole lot easier to make. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was 12 and the FCC showed up and, you know, I, I built it because I wanted to be on the radio. I really didn't care much about, you know, I, I was into electronics a little bit, but I, you know, I just wanted to be on the radio and talk. So I built the uh, the transmitter. The FCC showed up and told my parents that they had to confiscate it, but they thought that I had a bright future in electronics. So <laughs> that's what happened with mine. Oh, wow. And they uh, yeah, they took it away and. And I, you know, I built more over the years, but, you know, just like here, I, you know, I got into ham radio and, and all this other stuff. And that was really kind of the, uh, the building block that and computers really got me into electronics. I think we talked about that before garbage day, I'd go around and pick up old radios and clock radios and old TVs and stuff, drive my parents nuts and take them all apart and figure out what made them pick. So, um, I was also known by the way, real quick as the, uh, the only kid on the block that had cable TV in his bedroom and my parents didn't even subscribe to cable. <laughs> so that's a whole other story. <laughs> it oh happens. My oh my it God. It happens. So uh, Kira, once, once you're, you're okay, you get through these, these pirate days, these early, early days when you got hooked. I mean, the big radio fish hooked right there squarely in, in your mouth and okay, this is the direction I'm going. Uh, when, when did amateur radio start to come into your life and as a, a way of learning and experimenting? Well, that was, um, I got my license, my amateur radio license when I was, um, 16 on the day of my oh. 16th birthday, 22nd of March. And I went to Dublin and uh, did the exam and he said, yeah, you passed. Um, uh, but I had, I had, I had rigs before that. Um, there was this American gentleman called uh, Jesse Lawrence and he was a chiropractor, but he, he served with the American military and he did, um, he did uh, radio with them and he was hooked and he got me hooked in it. So it was all, it was all, a, it was all a, very much a, a, a collaboration of everything that I had experienced up to that point. Um, you, you know, and it, it, it actually stood to me because you know, when you try to tune a HF rig into a long wire antenna and you're tuning it and you're doing all that stuff, and then you have an FM transmitter that you have to get a filament of voltages right and all the other bits and pieces, and everyone was looking at you because they, they, they at that time, they just thought you could switch it on and it would just work. And you had to heat it up and make sure your voltages were right and make sure the SWR was right and tune it into the antennas and all that. So it really stood to me at that stage. Really, really enjoyed that aspect of my life back then. And it was, it was surreal. You know, you're 17 and they say, well, well, you're the station engineer for uh, a commercial radio station. And at that stage, I had been offered a course in electronics and I declined it because I was happy, you know, doing the radio. So I did my City and Gills on, on my own time. City and Gills gotcha. Electronics. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, it was, it was a good buzz. Like, I, you know, we did crazy things but back then. You know, I, if we talk about software-defined radios and if we talk about all the kit now that we have and the ability to stream up with, say, something like BUT or a, an encoder, a encoder across the internet, back in those days, you know, you guys had Marty links, okay? We didn't. You guys could mm. transmit on 174 megahertz. We couldn't. You had to be up at 900 wow. megs. So getting a 900 meg point-to-point was difficult. So I made up little transmitters and tuned them slightly out of band and had it in the car. Away we went. <laughs> FM, F, F, FM in from the broadcast, full, uh, full stereo. So yeah, it was, it was, it was the wild west of radio. You know, I remember, I remember we did, um, 
we, we were doing an outside broadcast from uh, the back back end of Connemara. Like there was just about telephone lines out there, a place called Clamber. But if you were in Galway, you would have seen the River Corb. Um, and I bounced the signal up the River Corb to a bridge and then retransmitted it back to the radio station. That was my path back. But we had like full FM stereo coming back from 35 kilometer hop through a couple oh of car batteries God. and a couple of transmitters. <laughs> oh my I mean, gosh. Yeah, it's real stuff. You know, I remember rigging one of the guys and I said, I said, Gareth O'Callaghan, he's a, he's a fairly famous guy. He was the MC for the night. It was out in Clonbur, a guy called Paddy Rocket organized it. And I didn't like using a telephone line or a cellular because they sounded absolutely crap, as you know. And even if you get a, even if you get a lease line and if the taps are taken off and whatever else, it just doesn't sound right. So any broadcasts I typically did, I got it back in UHF or I got it back in VHF. And I remember ring, ring one of the guys and I said, are you ready to go out on the bridge? Because we're ready to go on air here. And he said, yeah, this was Quincentennial Bridge in Galway. And he said, uh, he said, I am. So I said, will you go up to the bridge, tune in, make sure we have it, and then bounce it back to the radio station. And it was a hop to a mountain and there was a big, there was two big tractor batteries up there that the locals had brought up for me. A small, I think we went back in about 10 watts, back into Galway, and then another hop about a kilometer over to the radio station. It was mad stuff because the top, the topology, there was mountains on both sides and you had no clear path and we didn't have access to sites either. But that's mm. the kind of stuff that I did. It was just great fun. It was like, you know, roughneck radio is the best way I can explain it, you know? Wow. Wow. I love yeah. these stories. This is, this is amazing. Chris, go ahead. You, you've got something on your mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> you looked, you looked ready. <laughs> well, I am here enjoying I, the stories. These are great. I yeah, thought, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it was just it was just nuts, and you know it was you you were tuning you were tuning a transmitter into an SWR meter. You had no spectrum analyzers, you had nothing, and you know there was. Yeah, I can probably say because it's like you know it's a long time ago, but we had a big problem with transmission, and our our we were allowed uh, three and a half kilowatts up the spout for elements. So you know whatever your ERP was fine, you know, but it wasn't doing the job and there was really weird side lobes because the antennas weren't designed properly. Mm. See, so it cranked the power up, you know, but I had a two-way radio in my car. It was like just about cell phones and I used to send a CTS, CTCSS tone out to the transmitter site. Yeah. So I could crank the power remotely. I could pull it down. I could put it up because your knob was a very variable resistor. So I knew <laughs> my power settings. Yeah. So I just kicked in relay for 3K, 4K, 6K, 8K, you know. Now, you could get cut out because if you if you cranked it too fast, it might trip out because the tuning wouldn't be right. Mm. But if it was nice and warm and if the power supply was good, you could bring it up or down. So, yeah, I did very nasty things back then, you know. God rest him. Sean, Sean Lacken, he's, he's since away, passed away. He was the guy that checked all the stuff. And I used to go up to him and he saw me as a kid and he's, he was probably saying, what are they doing with this guy here? You know, like, why? What's happening here? And he had a Hewley Packard spectrum analyzer. And I used to be drooling over this thing. And he let me play with it, you know? And he said, there's something really weird with your station. He said, you have a better signal in that loan than you have here. He said, you have more field strength. And I said, yeah, but <clears throat> I kind of knew that you were on the way about half an hour ago before you came to science. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Facts. Facts. <laughs> yeah. That's dynamically adjustable uh, power right there. Oh, yeah. Proximity. Yeah. It's a proximity, proximity effect. Yeah. Well, you see, I, I was screwing around with CT uh, um, VHF radios, and I was using VHF 
commercial VHF legally to bring back signals as well. But with your CTCSS, there was um, this product called a Zetron control panel for repeaters, but it had I.O. coming out of it. So you could basically program it home, send it on, and it would click in the I.O. So it was great for repeater resets, power adjustments, and all the other things that you'd want to do. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Hey, we're talking to Kira Connolly. Kira is an engineer and uh, also on the air on planetradio.ie with a ton of listeners. You could add yourself to that number. And by the way, uh, real quick, Kira, uh, your website says it, it seems to indicate you're on the air right now. What did, did you voice track your show or what? No, no, not tonight. Oh. Well, you see, the oh. listeners, if I'm there, I'm there. It's, it's, it's kind of a voluntary radio station. So if I'm mm-hmm. there, I'm there. If I'm not, and then. You know, the usual story is the aliens abducted me last night um, and I go on okay. the air tomorrow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're Planet was born during COVID because a lot of the, some of the presenters that are on uh, Planet are ex-radio people down through the years and they were going yeah. stir crazy at home. And that's how that was. That's how that was born. Uh, so it's kind of everyone goes on, does a little slot when they can and, you know. It's it's far from commercial. Let me put it that way. We gotcha. might have all the commercial gear in the station, but it's far from commercial. <clears throat> well, Chris Tarr is along. I'm Kirk Harnack. We're going to hear from Broadcast Bionics, not too terribly far away from where Kira is, uh, over in uh, England and Hayward's Heath. And we'll be right back after this word about the Bionic Studio. Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV, and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability, and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single-studio self-op environments. Social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast-critical part of programming. Bionic Social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms. We combine SMS, MMS and email together with a speech-to-text service for listeners using smart speakers. We enable studio teams to curate, filter and display all platforms in one place and post text, images and video content to multiple platforms in one operation. Effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads and prizes. These could be on-air contests, automated SMS entry or online. Anywhere and Skype TX for Radio brings high quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease. No need for dedicated PCs to run different applications. Everything is controlled within the Bionic Studio UI. And incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms. Our codec integration enables connection, algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of IP and ISDN codecs. The Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed to enable your talent to work smarter. The Bionic Studio from Broadcast Bionics. Cool stuff to make your station sound better, give you that instant connection to uh, social media, and help you make better social, make better radio 
with the things that you're just doing now anyway. These uh, tools are additive, add to what you're doing right now. Thanks a lot, Broadcast Bionics, for sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech, and I hope that you will support Broadcast Bionics. At least check out what they've got. And like it. We are talking. I'm, I'm Kirk Harnack. Chris Tarr is along in McWanago, Wisconsin. And Kira Connolly is with us. Uh, Kira, are, you, you are coming from uh, from Galway. Is that right? Yeah, Galway, west of Ireland. I, I, other than visiting Galway once, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time there, everything I know about Galway is, uh, is, is from this TV show, Jack Taylor. Oh, Jack Taylor. You, yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah, about yep, 10 years I ago, do. 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. That was, that and show is so gripping. Yeah. If you liked that, check out Brendan Gleeson, the guard. The guard. Okay. The guard. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they did, uh, they got awards in, in the States for Banshee of Inishree, but I'm sad to say the guard is way better. Uh, so if you okay. like Jack Taylor, check out the guard. Yeah. I did. I did like Jack Taylor. All right. Good advice. Thank you very much. We are talking to Kira Connolly about broadcast engineering, and we got through uh, Kira's kind of early days and uh, those 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 um, uh, days when not every transmitter uh, was maybe licensed. <laughs> Chris <laughs> knows knows what what we're talking about here. Um, but uh, what what happened? Hey, you, you had a lot. You had some interest in uh, is technology. I, I guess. I hear from you, Kira, that you're interested in in RF technologies quite a bit because you've talked about spectrum analysis to me, uh, software-defined radios. What what about broadcast spectrum or radio spectrum do you find fascinating? Um, I, I guess one of the one of the things that happened back in about 1996 was. Um, I was in South Africa and I was doing some RF work and I was doing some consultancy work on for computer companies because I, I merged from radio into PMR and mobile phones. I'll come back to that in, in a while. But um, I was doing work there. And one of the biggest things that I, one of the biggest issues I had in SA was internet access in my house. Um, we had a mm. two meg line at that time. It's considered amazing stuff um, mm. coming in and um, uh, coming in and lease line. And pretty much there was dial up. Maybe you might get six nine point six k because in South Africa they had the they had the uh, lines tapped, so you couldn't exceed the frequency. So the US robotics wouldn't go up in fourteen k or twenty eight k. So wow. um, so I started screwing around with um, uh, Lucent um, two meg uh, radio cards, uh, Wi Fi hmm. radio cards with PC uh, PCM say cards and putting pigtails on them, and there were two point four wow. gig. Um, so MMDS was 2.3 gig and you could tune the aerials down to 2.4 gig, uh, ISM Wi-Fi, which was license exempt if you didn't exceed certain RF levels. And I managed to hop a signal out to my house from our factory. Hmm. So I, I got into that at that stage and then, um, screwing around with act timing on the radio cards, um, to get the range and, and stuff like that. And then other stuff came in warboards. And one of the one of the pinnacle moments for me, anyway, was uh, Theorus brought out this uh, PCMCA card, uh, Theorus CM9. Anyone that's into the Wi-Fi stuff will know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the magic. It was magic. And with that, you could t you could write to the EEPROM on it and change the act timing so you could get longer links. So I came back to Ireland, and um, in '96, my mother got ill, and of course, no proper internet. So a friend of mine and a couple of other people had put together a wireless network and we were hopping a signal up from Limerick uh, to mountaintops and car batteries and solar panels. And that was great fun. 
Um, so I enjoyed I enjoyed screwing around that spectrum um, microwave links doing um, you know uh, bandwidth microwave links rather than uh, radio microwave links, and um, and and at that stage I had all the technology because I had um, I'd been working with mobile phones and you know repairing Motorola's and all that kind of stuff in my own shop. And I had IFR uh, spectrum uh, radio test sets, which had a spectrum analyzer and all, all that stuff in, and Motorola. And one of the things back then, which was quite interesting, was um, you either had a handheld radio or you had a fixed phone in the car. But um, you could make both of them look like they're the same device. Um, now, some people did it for various means, you know, uh, with devices that they might have procured nefariously. But one of the things that um, that we we did, and most of the other people in Ireland as well did, is if a guy was wealthy enough and he bought a two hand, a handheld mobile phone and um, a fixed mobile phone for his car, we could put them on the same number basically because you just rewrote an ESN to the chip. Um, he owned them, so it was legitimate to do it. Hmm. So then that brought up the brought up the we we run eTax here. You guys ran tax back in the day, um, analog tax, and then I went to GSM. Um, after that. So there was a kind of crossover where I'd gone from commercial radio to more mobile phones and all of that kind of stuff and had been working in IT. And then IT became the main, my main business, but I did a lot of RF stuff as well. And, um, but I had, at that stage, I had all the toys to do it, you know, analyzers and all the bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, and it's just stuck with me since then. So, you know, the bug the bug was always there. So then I was doing radio links and, and uh, STH links and stuff like that for telecoms and for myself. And mm-hmm. then um, this reintroduction to radio, to being on air and to broadcasting came over COVID. Um, and the joke with our guys was, well, I said, I'm not going to put my name to it unless it sounds good. So I think we're the only online station at that time that... Um, I went out and got Optimod. At that time, we were running Optimod 8700 eyes. Beautiful box. We've moved to the Omni 11 since um, hmm. because okay. it's just a, yeah. you know, I think uh, uh, it's a lovely box. You, you brought up and the topic hands, of, oh, I'm sorry. You, you well, brought up the topic of, of, of IT, and I, I'd love to move into that because that's kind of how you and I got our conversation started. Uh, I was yeah. talking about somewhere and maybe a social post or something about virtualization and uh, how software containers are kind of making management of virtualization better and, and easier. Is, is that a topic you, you'd, you'd like to address? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, our, our entire environment is running on VMware. And um, we basically, all our playout runs in a VM. Uh, all our um, uh, STL tie lines run on VMs as well. So we run, we run Icecast for our um, broadcast, you know, for our broadcast, but we also use that for the tie lines into the studio. And mm. all those run on VM, but it's clustered VM, which is co-location. So we have... Uh, co-location in Galway, we have co-location in Dublin, and I have servers in, in Germany as well. So basically any one of those sites can go down and it just, the, the network keeps running. Um, really? Now, one of the big problems, one of the big problems with, um, with virtualizing your gear, and especially if you're virtualizing uh, processing and if you're virtualizing some of your playout systems, is your licensing. Not that there's a problem licensing because we pay for our licenses, but that license, it, if you buy a Microsoft product with, with, say, server 2019 or 22, you can use 
that process, pro product as either a hypervisor or you can use it as a server or you can use two instances of it, okay? But you can also uh, replicate that instance onto a d disaster recovery server, okay? Mm -hmm. So if one goes down, it's in and away you go. But unfortunately, um, and, and I, I can understand why, one of the big problems is Urban brought out this beautiful product, um, which is uh, it's an enterprise processing platform and it sits on a box and whatever else. Um, Amina have their own version of it, fast as well. It's like really good. Um, but one of the problems is, uh, you know, when things crash, they happen normally in the middle of the night when you can't get anyone out at the weekend and your license is tied to the server that it's on. So mm. to do a complete flip over server and to bring it live where the playout will come up and all your processing and, or sorry, all your processing for requests and all that come up in that environment. You have a serious problem with, with the processing licenses because they, especially if you want to license two, if you want to license two servers individually, that's not a problem. So that one sits over there. But if you want a situation where this server crashes and this one takes over the instance because it's continuously replicating or re replicating shadow replication. So mm -hmm. you don't, you, you might bar of a song, but it comes in exactly where it, and to achieve that has its, has its problems because of licensing, you know, hmm. um, and any of my big sites that I do from an IT perspective, we have volume licensing for Microsoft. So it doesn't make any difference. You just, you're licensed for the site and whatever servers. But I think it's one of the things that the broadcast industry or the broadcast guys have to think about either hardware dongle it and you can change the dongle over. And it doesn't matter that, you know, it, realistically, if, 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 if you get the best sound and if you tweak it or if you have processing or if you, in some cases, some stations, you know, their nighttime radios process slightly different to their daytime. Daytime is really aggressive. You have a schedule. Nighttime is processed less aggressively because it's easier mm -hmm. in the year. All that stuff happening in the back. And when, if your main server goes down, the problem is the, the secondary server coming up and is it going to have all the settings that were live half an hour ago on the other box? Yeah. And, and that's the one problem I see. We, we went out, I'm on 11, uh, we're running them on uh, Dante um, outside the box as two separate mm -hmm. as boxes in two separate clusters uh, for that reason so that you don't lose your processing if you lose your Wow. Servers. Wow, uh, I, I I'm trying to visualize this in in my in my head, and obviously you've really thought about, given all the thought to redundancy and failover and a, a disaster recovery should something go wrong. It your uh, your your VMware your 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 infrastructure that you've got is is any of this in in public cloud services or is it in no. your own no. your own racks? Yeah, it's it's own racks and VPN to the to the devices. Um, we'll say the studio desktops are on VMs, um, which has its which has its problems when you want to map with say consoles, because really you know I'm at home at the moment and I have I I I we have a Wheatstone uh, desk which I adore but it's big, and sometimes I do dance shows so I use Pioneer uh, desk uh, uh, CDJs and stuff like that. Oh yeah, for control. Yeah. Um, but what I have is in my home studio, there's no audio. There's no analog connections. There's no nothing. Everything is either Dante or it's digital. It's digital yeah. IO wires. So there's no, the, the only thing that, the only thing that's analog is in my microphone and my IEMs. That's it. That's the only thing that's analog here. So all, all our stuff is digital from the time that it hit, comes out as a WAV file or a FLAC file from our playout 
to the time mm-hmm. that it hits air. And there's low latency networks then from, we'll say here, there's low latency networks between the connections and I can run Dante straight in from here. Yeah. If I, if yeah. I choose that, you know, we, we, wow. we did, we did a couple of broadcasts over Christmas where we brought other studios in, in real time on Dante. So feed Chris, going out for his, yeah. for his monitors, feed coming back in for the playout. And bear in mind that some of the studios that are remote, they're not, we don't do VO. We don't go out through playout. They're actually standalone studios with their own software and with their own desk. Ah, okay. Chris, are you following along? I think I'm getting, I'm getting 90% of this. I'd like to see it in person. <laughs> no, I'm following along very closely because actually, you know, we're working on something similar. So, um, you know, it's interesting to hear how other people are doing it because um, that is the way that radio is going to be, you know, it, it, especially now, um, you know, what, what Kira's doing is what the rest of us are going to end up doing. And, you know, that is, there's not going to be a centralized studio. I mean, there will be, but people will be doing recorded and live shows from all over. And we're going to be able to have these data centers set up uh, because there won't be anybody there. So, you know, for failover reasons and everything else, um, you know, as, I, as I've always said, and we've talked about this many times, radio is so far behind all often in technology like that. You know, these are things that other people have been doing for a long, long time in the other industries. Radio is just now catching up to that. So, um, you know, all of a sudden now that's the big talk is virtualization, but, you know, other uh, industries have been doing it for years successfully. So it's about time. Well, wow. We got, the, the we got issue, mm-hmm. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, the, the, the one issue with virtualization, um, particularly when you're talking with audio, it's time dependent. So, you know, your networks have to stack up. If you don't have quality of service across your uh, audio network, you're going to have right. dropouts, especially with Dante and stuff like that. And particularly if you're running processing on uh, virtual servers as well. You know, if, if they don't have enough grunt and if they don't have enough resources assigned to them, you're going to have problems. Like, I built our whole network from scratch over COVID. The only thing I bought in at that time was the Optimals. Everything else is hand-built yeah. from scratch. Yeah. The entire network. Play out everything else. So, you know, that, that that's one of the problems. But uh, on the other hand, a lot of studios, you know, I see a lot of studios that have a single keyboard and another keyboard for requests and another keyboard for this and another keyboard for that. All our stuff, yeah. all our studio stuff sits in on a VM hypervisor. And um, basically, even if you have multiple VM, we have desktops. I use those little Dell. They're 3020. They're a micro PC because there's no noise out of them. There's a baby fan. You don't even hear them in the studio. And basically, they feed the monitor clusters. But they're just dumb terminals, effectively. They're proper PCs, but they're remote desktop into mm. the services. And the theory is that there's nothing connected to the internet. It comes into it comes into our requests come into um, I have an engine built for WhatsApp that comes that comes across over a firewall. It's a it's a pinhole that comes into our network and it delivers it separately. There's none of the machines connected to the internet here at the moment, unless I allow them to be, because yeah. you're dealing you're dealing in the old days. You know, you spoke about carts earlier on. Um, you know, most stations had a wall of carts and they had six cart machines. If a cart screwed up, you went on to, you went on to the next machine. Um, if your computer goes, you're off air. If your processing goes, you're off air. If your server goes, you're off air. Um, and particularly now with, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the MPXs are fed from the studio end over, over broadband or over fiber or over uh, digital radio links where it's data 
rather than analog signals that are going over those links. So it's the biggest issue now is cryptos. You know, someone picking up a, a simple thing like picking up a memory stick in the car park and plugging it into an on-air machine to see, you know, <laughs> what's on the stick. Um, it happened to one of our national broadcasters last week. They got hit with a crypto and all the programming went down. So that is one wow. of the things. So if you if you put virtualize everything, we'll say the likes of VMware or whatever, you know, whatever, um, whatever appliance that whatever virtualization um, system that you want to use, you take a snapshot, you can roll back the snapshot to an hour ago and you're back on air. And that's the beauty about it, unless you have a hard, hardware failure. But, you know, we, it's. Go ahead. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Kier, we, we got to take a break and we'll come back and I want to continue that story. Uh, Chris, I don't know about you or Kira, but, you know, what I did at my stations to keep people from plugging uh, random USB uh, memory things, you know, flash drives in. I changed all my USBs on the computer to, to nine pin serials and now they can't plug anything. <laughs> and I'm, I'm totally safe. I set mine I to a loud, like, klaxon alarm, so as soon as yeah. somebody plugged it in, <laughs> whoop, 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 that pretty much stopped Gosh. all that. Oh, well, I, I got to hear hear more about this. Is that what, what Kira's doing is is where we all are going, like it, not like it, love it, whatever, uh, That that's that's where our business is, is going and spending, you know, less time on, you know, fiddly bits and more time uh, with uh, clusters of, of, uh, of, Computers, whether it's VM, whether it's virtual machines or containers that are doing jobs uh, that we used to do with uh, things you'd screw into a rack with, with four screws. That's coming up. Hey, our show's brought to you in part by Broadcasters General Store and our friends at Innovonics. If you need to monitor your HD radio signals or non-HD, so many solutions from Innovonics. Here's one that's been out for a year, but you want to you want to know all about it. Hi, this is Gary Lerman. I'm Sales and Marketing Manager from Innovonics. I'm joined here by our President and CEO, Ben Barber, and we're here to tell you about two new products that we're very excited about. They're HD modulation monitors, the Model 551 and 552, and Ben's going to take us through some of the features. Ben, what can you tell us, tell us about these? The 551 has the big display, 7-inch touchscreen display. You can look at different parameters instantly by walking up to it and touching it, getting information that you need. It also has the LED displays for FM total modulation, uh, left, right, FM, HD 1, 2, 3, and 4. The other thing that the 551 has is that it has full-time audio outputs on studio hub connectors on the back, both analog as well as AES digital. So you've got FM, HD 1 through 4, they're full-time. The 552 doesn't have the display, doesn't have the metering, and doesn't have the full-time audio outputs, but the web interfaces are identical for remote viewing and monitoring. Great. Thanks very much, Ben. These products are going to be available in January 2022. Contact us at intervonicsbroadcast.com for more information. Thanks very much. Really good innovation from Innovonics. See what I did there? Uh, but seriously, got a whole uh, good uh, catalog of products that will help you out uh, from you know, retransmission receivers, those modulation monitors, just lots of good things from Innovonics and available from Broadcaster's General Store. Hey, I was talking to uh, some of my friends from BGS just yesterday and actually Monday, Monday too. Uh, Hugh Price and, and Buck Waters uh, and Shane Finch, uh, all good folks. 
at Broadcaster General Store. You can give them a call at 352-622-7700 and get your, get, get your sharp pencil quote, as I call it, uh, from BGS on whatever equipment you need. Also, just ask them what's popular. Hey, I'm looking for a box that does this or does that. What do you recommend? And they are full of good recommendations at 352-622-7700 or bgs.cc. Hey, it's Kirk Harnack. Chris Tarr here, uh, is here along with us. And uh, Kira Connolly from Galway, Ireland is along. And not even not only is, uh, is the accent amazing, but so is the engineering prowess. Kira, we were talking about IT, and maybe you could um, tell us a little bit more about the, the back-end systems, the infrastructure, um, you know, kind of how how does putting your broadcast facility into a virtualized environment that is you know make computers do what purpose-built hardware used to do how does that actually help you and your colleagues in getting broadcasting done well well um as i say you have the you have the ability to roll back if there's if there's an issue or if there's a hardware issue or if there's if there's even a patch that you know that that that, that is one of the other things mm-hmm. you know leaving machines exposed to the internet um microsoft are pushing patches all the time even though you've set patches not to be updated so suddenly you lose you lose your your environment and and in in saying that if you want to do stuff for security reasons to hmm. upgrade a server or upgrade a patch you can upgrade it on another instance of the vm and make sure that you don't you know there was a lot of people are using Windows 10. A lot of people are using um, um, 2019 server, but some of the audio got broken, especially if you had virtual pipelines. If you had um, if you had Dante um, running on that machine, they broke it in one of the releases. So you can mm. test all this stuff before you go live into the environment, and that's the beauty about virtualization. You can test offline in another environment to make sure it all works before you you deploy it in your production, or even flip it to the to the disaster recovery, and then update your production, and that's the beauty about it. Talk so to me like about we'll say on our uh, on our ISCAS servers. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, on our ISCAS servers, there's two sources. So there's mm-hmm. the primary source, and there's the there's the backup. So if I want to flip my broadcast environment now from, we'll say, my production environment to my uh, backup environment, I just drop the connections to the from the production. It'll flip automatically in, and it'll transfer all the users across. Ah, so it, oh, you hear okay, a blip. Okay. You hear a blip, yeah. but um, but all 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 the subscribers just transfer over as if nothing ever happened. It's the backup source. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now for for, for 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 FM for FM that's different, or for digital that's different, because you're yeah. talking to transmitters. But if you like, we have to face it. Everyone has a mobile phone now. Everybody has. Amazon Alexas, they have Google Home, they have Google Nest. You know, it, it, the, the, the whole industry is changing from what I can see. Notwithstanding, you know, you have a couple of hundred kilowatt transmitters, the cost, you know, one of the things that's actually happening in Europe at the moment is Bauer. You've probably heard of them. Sure. And they have acquired quite a number of stations in the UK and Ireland and, and Europe. But they turned off Absolute Radio three weeks ago in the UK. Because the electricity prices here used to be, you know, commercially seven or eight cents a unit. Now they're up, they went up to 53 cents a unit commercial. So, you know, you have a hundred kilowatt AM transmitter chunking away in there every day. There's <laughs> a substantial cost to keeping that running. Notwithstanding, you know, you get better quality on your smartphone into a, a Bluetooth speaker now. So the whole radio industry I can see is changing. You know, people, 
people like to be able to hop into their car and listen to the local radio station. But on the other hand, a lot of people like to be, you know, you're in Galway and there's good radio stations in Dublin, like 98 FM or FM 104 or Q102, which are not available down here. Mm. People tune in on their phone and the Bluetooth of the car. That's what's happening now. And, you know, Ireland lost the opportunity of rolling out DAB. They just decided that the powers that be decided they weren't going to put DAB in Ireland. It's oh. Northern Ireland have it. The UK have it. They won't, they won't license DAB. But there was a few test streams done. And the general conception was, oh, well, you know, uh, it probably won't take off. But DAB run, ran properly. If you have muxes all over the country, you could carry mm. the whole host of stations on DAB right across the country and have the choice. But sometimes the, I don't think that suits local radio either because other people's other stations coming to their jurisdiction, the availability. Sure. But that's all blown away now because you can get it on the internet anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to ask you what you think about the, the ubiquitous nature now of uh, 4G, 5G, you know, easy, reasonably high bandwidth connections. I mean, sometimes I can do a speed test on, on this puppy and, and get, uh, get close to a gigabit. More frequently, it's 30, 40, 50 megabits, but whatever it is, it's, it's, it's enough to, to watch a, uh, you know, an HD movie, let alone you know, easily listen to all the, all the audio-only services that I want to. Why? I mean, does 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 AM have a future? Does FM have a future? Does DAB have a future? If it's so ubiquitous to get data via the cell carriers, do we want to depend on them? What do you What are your thoughts about about that topic? Well, I think in an emergency situation where you have FM or AM, and everything else goes down, that has merit. Um, on mm -hmm. the other hand. Um, uh, one of one of our uh, one of our presenters, Ali Morn, his mother um, was given Alexa over Christmas, and she liked particular radio stations down the country um, because they played traditional Irish music and stuff that she was into. And uh, he said, um, "I need to get something up with my mother um, broadband wise. There was there's copper out there, but you know she, she was so far out that you know you might get five hundred and twelve k on the copper. So I gave them um, an LTE uh, modem with." Um, a 4G SIM card in it, and that's doing 30 or 40 megs out there. But what amazed me was um, she has now transitioned from her transistor radio or her radio sitting on her windowsill to saying, Alexa, play Midwest radio. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And it comes mm -hmm. up and it plays the shows that she wants. So if you have a person who's 70, 80, uh, transitioning to that and happy with that, it kind of sends a certain death knell to terrestrial and AM for availability, provided the networks stay up and provided the bandwidth is there. That That is putting a lot of eggs into the uh, the cell carrier basket. Chris Tarr, uh, you were dealing with uh, bad weather, ice storms. Uh, what What's cell carrier's reliability in, in your estimation compared to broadcaster's reliability? And, and is that is that important? Oh, I think it's very important. Um, you know, around here, the you know, last night it seems like it was okay, but you you do you hear stories about after hurricanes and things. You know, they're fast to get things up, but it's days before a lot of those cell carriers come back up, and the only thing you've got is broadcast. Now, the other thing you know that's different in Europe versus uh, the United States is it's a big country, and there are lots of places that still don't have cell coverage, or mm. you know again with the you know the the way the competition works or lack thereof um you know sometimes the providers provide 
just enough to make phone calls and get a trickle of data in. So, you know, I, I think that there's augmentation for sure with, uh, you know, these smart speakers and things like that. But I still believe there's, you know, there's a long way to go before we're getting to the point where they're replacing terrestrial radio. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, I know we got other places that we can go to. Kier, we haven't talked much about studio um, design, construction. What are some of your favorite things? We don't have a lot of time left, but I wonder, Kier, if, if you might just name off, you know, some of the, the if, if you're building a, a new studio, what are some of the things that you want to make sure uh, are in there either by brand name or what kind of equipment? What what And is it all home studios these days or are you ever looking at building, you know, traditional studios where people come together? Well, the, the the our our main our main studio that I put together, which no one uses, believe it or not, um, we use Tweetstone uh, with Tweetstone Blade, Blade Three because your your audio processing for your microphones and all the other good stuff there, you can connect it on the internet, you can tweak it, you can or through the network you can tweak it um, and do whatever you want to do. Your surface is there, and it's really you know really we're we're now in the stage where there's no physical buttons anymore. It's it's either through um, virtual MIDI uh, to play out systems, or it's through uh, uh, specific written interfaces. So it, that's interesting where that has gone, because mm-hmm. you know you're you're not you're not change, you, you you know you're not compromising your sound. If your signal goes in clean, it's in the digital domain. So keep it simple. You know um, that that's where we that's where I am from studio point of view. You know. Um, and um, have have had very good success now with the the Wheaties. Um, a good guy, great company. You know, um, love it. What what are you guys doing for uh, automation playout? What do you like there? Um, I had married in, and then we I spun up a Linux version. There's Riverdale, which we use as well for certain things, mm-hmm. um, and and that's what we're running on playout. But I, again, um. Ours is, is very diverse because we're pulling in remote guys, um, and some of some of them, some of them are using um, DigiSoftware for you know clubs and stuff like that because that's what they're used to doing or that's what they want to run, and it gives uh-huh. them precise control over what they want to do. But it's all again in the digital domain. There's nothing. There's nothing analog out there anymore. And you know, don't come to me with an MP3 file that's you know, 128k. It's either fact or whack. <laughs> End of story. Yeah. yeah. So, End so the story, you know. Yeah, I take it then. Uh, some of your your presenters, your volunteer at Planet Radio, the, they have their own their own playlist, their own store of files. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they would have the the station repertoire of their own files. Yeah, okay. All and right. then then um, I came across this really interesting piece of software. Um, it's a it's a playout system. It's like it's really interesting. Um, and we have that put out on the machines then for stuff like jingles and stuff. And then I did interesting stuff where um, I have tablets uh, set up and MIDI triggers on the tablets with the, with the jingles on it, which actually trigger mm. MIDI commands to trigger the MIDI playout. So, you know, like, let's face it, you can't go putting a 28,000 euro Wheatstone desk and a blade out into a guy's house. You'd like to, but you can't, especially, you know, when it's, it's certainly voluntary. But um, but we've worked around that. Like, you know, some of our guys that are going on, people are saying, you know, what are they using? Because they sound absolutely amazing. We 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 process, we slightly process the signal coming in, 
um, from them just to make sure there's no clipping. And what I've done is our screens, our screens for our time and on their lights and all that kind of stuff, um, they will actually, the station will tell the screen over the VPN that they're overloading the input mm. mm-hmm. on the far side. Yeah. So it'll say overload and it'll flash on the screen overload. Um, but they can run remotely or they can run into a playout system if they want to do that. Or you can do VT, but no one wants to do VT because, you know, let's face it, it's happening. If you're doing a show and if requests are coming in or if people are texting in, it's real time. You know, it's, you don't want to be three minutes later or four minutes later playing a song because, you know, they have the scope within the playlist to play what they want to do. Right. And yeah, similarly right. with, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Finish thought. Finish yeah, your thought. Similarly, we can we can bring in Skype. We can, you know, I've I've Asterix VoIP server for our, mm. um, yeah. So we can bring in the stuff over VoIP and present it to the desk or present it to the presenters. Skype, uh, uh, analog. Uh, sorry, analog. People can dial in. Seller can dial in through VoIP or to a number, and we can put it on air anywhere in any of the locations. You know, and then our servers then feed the guy's screen, um, but none of them want it. They don't want it anymore, giving them the real-time listener fi- figures, which is very interesting because that's the one thing that you can't do on FM. You don't know how many people are connected. Right. You're guesstimating or you're using Nielsen in the States or you're using people here to guesstimate how many people listen to the station. Uh, digital radio over the internet is damning because you can see a real-time figure and if you play a song and you have 100,000 people that just drop off because they don't like the song, you're not going to play that song again. People, DJs are very weird. They say, oh my God, I'm after... And they think it's them, but it could be just the song that they played. So I've seen it. Some of the presenters kind of go, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to know. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Chris Tarr is here. Uh, Kira Connolly is here. It's this week in Radio Tech, our six hundred thirty third episode. Uh, we got it. We unfortunately we're running out of time. Uh, I think Chris and I could could talk uh, with Kira for quite a while. I'm interested in so many more things of what they're doing there. We're going to have to get Kira to come back and maybe give us a a video or photo tour. Uh, Chris, when we come back, we're going to look for a tip of the week. And if, once again, you know, I failed in my job as host warning or asking Kira to come up with a tip of the week uh, when we come back from our final spot break. So, Kira, that's your heads up. A tip of the week. What would you like our viewers and listeners to walk away with? But right now, Chris Tarr has a tip for you. It has to do with angry audio. Don't get mad. Get angry. Chris, take it away, bud. <laughs> Oh, man. Today, we're going to talk about processing. Uh, One of my favorite subjects. I am a big processing geek. And Angry Audio has come out with some fantastic products that, uh, you know, in some cases can be standalone processors. And in other cases, can be used to augment the processing that you already have. We're talking about the Chameleon series by Angry Audio. They've got the C3 headphone processor. Uh, One of the things with digital radio broadcasting now and sometimes even with the the new STLs that are out there, it introduces a delay. And so your announcers have to listen to the raw program audio. And that can be a little off-putting when you're on the air. You know, back in the old days when we'd have the tuner in there and we could hear ourselves through all that great processing, you take that away and sometimes, you know, you you can't really hear those crossfades really well or your voice sounds kind of weak. The C3 headphone processor adds processing back into your system so you can feed processed audio to your announcers. 
The C4 is a live stream processor. Um, this is an outboard audio processor meant for streaming. It makes your streaming sound real consistent, nicely leveled and processed with really nice full audio. Very, in fact, kind of analog-like with the Chameleon C4. It's a great product if you're doing live streaming. Then we get to the Chameleon C level, which is a product that, uh, that's their newest product, that I really love. As most people know, I bought 25 of them <laughs> for all of my stations. And what they are is they're an AGC preprocessor. And especially with older processors, these things make those older processors just sing. It's a multi-band AGC with some of uh, Corny Gould's special sauce in it for real-time EQ. And it makes those older processors sing. Even if you have a new modern processor, they sound really good ahead of those processors. Do you need something for perhaps leveling in front of an STL? This is the box for you. They're a great Ariane or uh, a great place for the Ariane or even the compeller. That's the Chameleon C level. There's another product coming out very, very soon that we're very excited about, and that is the Chameleon C5S. And what that is, is it's a software version of the Chameleon uh, that you can use for processing uh, real-time audio, but it also comes with a VST plugin. So you can use your favorite uh, audio editing software and use the Chameleon as a plugin for your audio. All great processing products from, uh, from Angry Audio and the mind of Corny Gould. So uh, don't get frustrated. Get angry and solve your audio problems with Angry Audio. Check them out at angryaudio.com. Thanks, Chris. And also, uh, look at this, the big the big V, the, the antenna V. This is the V that will keep you on the air if you or, or get you on the air from a remote site. It's Max Connect Wireless and their line of 4G LTE modems. But what you get is not just data. You get prioritized data for your live remote broadcast or to keep you on the air. If uh, your STL goes out, your Internet goes out, I've used this thing several times now to get my own station on the air. Uh, after a tornado, and to get WEVL in Memphis back on the air after a lightning strike took out all the internet at their transmitter site. Here's Gary Morrill to tell you more about why this is great. I'm Gary Morrill, Midwest Regional Director of Engineering for Alpha Media. When I first spoke with Josh Bone about Max Connect, he told me they'd work great for remote transmitter sites where connectivity was a challenge. And you know, he's absolutely right. We even have sites where we're using this as a backup to our STL using Mac Connect's dual carrier option, and it works perfectly. We also have times where we need to be able to get out to a venue where it's kind of challenging because everybody and his brother is trying to stream video at the same time, like at a big sporting event. And you know what? Our data gets through every time because it's prioritized packet data. It works for us. It'll work for you. Max Connect. Check it out. If your opinion of cellular data is based on maybe you getting uh, intermittent data, not all your packets get through, remember you're probably basing that on what your cell phone is doing. Well, it's competing with everybody else. So that's why prioritized data from Max Connect Wireless is your friend. And this can work. When your cell phone doesn't, I've proved it in several different venues, small towns, big cities, Las Vegas, uh, Fort Lauderdale, at the beach, etc. Check it out from Max Connect Wireless. Thanks a lot, Josh Bone, for helping our industry and sponsoring this show. All right, we have just a couple minutes left. Uh, tip of the week, Chris Tarr. I'm going to hit you up first to give Kira another minute to think about it. 
All right, well, hopefully you can uh, hear me. My internet connection seems to get a little flaky here. Uh, my tip is something I've been working on just recently, and that is with UPSs. We all have uninterruptible power supplies or battery backups at our facilities, but more often than not, once they're installed, they walk away and they're never looked at again. And I see this way too many times. Batteries yeah. for these things, uh, replacement batteries are really inexpensive. Uh, in, in most cases, like with APCs, they're so easy to replace. So my tip is, is when you put in a new uh, UPS battery backup, put a label on there that lets you know the date that you put the battery in. And usually you get about a three-year lifespan out of that. And then when that time is up, whether or not it's working or, or seems to be okay, replace the battery. Replace the battery, put a new sticker on there to let you know when that battery uh, was replaced. And that way you can look right away and tell if you've got uh, need a battery to be replaced or not. And you know, you want to take care of this before you find out the hard way that the battery in your UPS is dead. Yeah, that's 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 been the biggest gotcha that I've had with UPS is forgetting to replace the battery, uh, not wanting to spend the money before I had to. But if you wait to the last second, then the UPS doesn't do what you bought it to do in the first place. So it's kind of foolish to save money by not replacing them, isn't it? Not, not that you would know. I'm speaking of my own experience. Gara, uh, you've got a tip of the week. You have something you want to leave our listeners with. Hmm, I have to think about that. Um, what, one of the things um, that we did is um, where you have multiple screens and multiple computers. There's a little product. It's 11 bucks to buy as long as all the machines are on the same plan. Um, mm -hmm. Synergy is what it's called. Okay. Um, and I, I've put a number of people onto it in broadcast. It allows you to move your mouse from literally the three desktops or the four desktops on your landscape. You can set them up on the piece of software. You can move your mouse. You use one mouse, one keyboard. You can flip up. You can flip down to the different screens. That would be my love synergy. I, I love synergy. Oh, I use it, it with. Uh, I've got a PC and a Mac. Oh yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> I've got a over here uh, to my side here. I've got a Mac. It's got its own keyboard and mouse, but I don't like to usually swing over and. And do that. Sure. So I've got synergy so I can use my keyboard and mouse here and swing over and control that computer. And you're right. I mean, you can, you know, you can arrange screens however you're, I mean, arrange the monitors however you want, the positions. So if your computer's over here, you can make it go that way, whatever. Um, I was actually going to mention that earlier when you're talking about being in the studio with multiple screens, uh, you know, and, and one keyboard. I'm like, oh, you know, uh, synergy does that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great product. Highly recommend it. That yeah, is. It works I, really well. Yeah. yeah. I installed so it years ago. And, same land. Yes, same land. Yeah, same land. Yeah. And oftentimes they will be. So uh, if, if they're close together, probably, probably so. That's a great idea. I, I um, yeah, we, we had that as a tip many years ago, and I installed it years ago. I, I may have had some slow computers because it was a little jerky, but I know it's, I, people recommend it so much. It must be a lot better and, now. And, I'm going to put that in right here. And just one other thing in respect mm -hmm. of UPS, particularly with APC your float voltage, check your volt, float voltage on the UPSs because that tends, there's a pot inside in the UPSs and as the UPS gets slightly older, the float voltage actually changes. So we'll say if you have a, a 48 volt uh, battery pack, uh, your uh, typical is 52 volts, sometimes it goes to 54, 57 volts when that pot drips and then your batteries swell and they're gone, they're dust. So yeah. very important, especially if you have aged UPSs, drop a meter on it, look what your float voltage is. 
That's a good point. I've I've had those batteries on some older APCs swell to the point where you couldn't you couldn't pull the tray out because they had yeah. swelled up so bad we had to take it apart from the top. Wow, good yeah, advice. There's a, little yeah. pot, there's a little pot inside and and they tend to drift. And uh, that's the problem with them. Chris Tarr, Kiera Connolly, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us on This Week in Radio Tech. We really appreciate you both being here. And uh, Suncast, thank you for uh, switching the show, making us all look you know, better than we would have otherwise. So I appreciate you very much. Coming up on a couple of future shows, let's see, next week, uh, Scott Feibush is going to be with us. By the way, did you know he's he – He's playing New York City. He's doing a comedy club in New York City, and he's going to be our guest as well next week on uh, on Thursday. And then, uh, let's see, coming up, um, David Layer from the NAB is going to be with us on March the 9th. So we got a couple of good shows coming up. We've had a good show today. Thank you, Kira. Thank you, uh, Chris. And thank you, Suncast, for show yeah, for producing This Week in Radio Tech. I'm going to go have some lemonade. We'll see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.